Uh, thanks for being here today. I want to continue the series we started at the beginning of August called Made for More. I don't know if you caught uh, this interview, but it was fascinating to me. Charles Barkley interviewed Nick Saban. Any, any of you catch that interview? I, I mean, just a few of you. Fascinating. Charles Barkley, probably the most recognized athlete from the state of Alabama, you know, multiple NBA champion, MVP, now he's a commentator. He had an opportunity to sit down. He had never met Nick Saban just briefly, and he got to interview Nick Saban, the head coach of Alabama football. Now, love or hate Nick Saban, and there's plenty of both, uh, he's right about one thing. Charles Barkley asked him this question in the interview. He said, how do you keep Alabama at the top every year? And I was fascinated by Nick Saban's answer. He said, it's human nature after victory to slack off. He said, you're in college, you make an A, or you're in high school, you make an A on a test, first test of the year, so what do you do? You go hang out with your friends, you goof off, you relax, the next test you take a C on it, so then you end the semester with a B. That's human nature. It's human nature after a victory to withdraw, to rest, to back off, to not try as hard. And he said, when you can get people to consistently defy that part of human nature, then you have something special. When you can get people to defy that part of human nature, then you have something special. Now that interview reminded me of this relationship that Paul has had with Timothy. Paul's in prison. He's the one that wrote this letter we call 2 Timothy. He's in prison. It's the last time he's going to communicate with Timothy uh, for the rest of his life. It's the last letter in the Bible that t Paul will write, Timothy is his spiritual son. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, the early verses, he says, My dear son in the Lord. And at this point, Paul is out of time. Anything important he wants to tell him, he's got to tell him fast. Because this is the last letter. And in this letter, he's talking to Timothy more like a coach than he is like a chaplain. He's not sort of coding it. He's coming right on and saying, Timothy, this is the last opportunity I have to talk to you. And he keeps encouraging him and challenging him. The way we've said it in this series is, Timothy, you are made for more. You are made for more. God has a plan for your life. You were made for something special. God has gifted you. He's equipped you. He's empowered you. He's chosen you. And you are made for something special in him. So that brings us to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We finished chapter 1 last week. We're looking at chapter 2 this week, verse 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some are for common use. Now, Paul's a master at painting a picture. And that's what he does here. He's a master portrait painter. And he's painting this picture for Timothy. Again, an image that Timothy would clearly recognize. So here's kind of the picture that he's painting that we wouldn't understand just by reading without the context. Imagine this massive uh, mansion, this giant house that has bowls and plates and cups of gold and silver and the best items in the house are out on the dining room table for honored guests and they're vessels of honor these items of gold and silver they represent the kingdom they represent influence they represent nobility and honor and power 
And there are these other vessels in the house that are made of wood and clay, and they're really not that useful. So not to be, um, not to be crass, but I want to give you the picture that Timothy would have gotten when he read this verse. Without, without this picture, you can't completely understand what he meant. Okay, so what happens in that time in the world, it's the middle of the night, there's no indoor plumbing. You got to go to the bathroom. Where are you going to go? You're in this big mansion. You're on your guest. You're not going to go out and way out in the yard at night. You're not going to go out and all that. So you take this vessel, this vessel that's for common use. You use the bathroom in it. You put a lid on it. In the morning, so I'm just a great junior high message. I promise. You put a lid on it. Somebody else going to deal with it. All right now. So Paul is comparing two vessels. They're these vessels, they're these containers of gold and silver, and then, then, then there's these other ones. And all through the New Testament, he paints this picture, the old self and the new self. Now, with that context, look at verse 21. He says, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments from the latter, from the latter, from the instrument of common use, from the vessel of common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made holy. Some translations say sanctified. That's an important word we'll look at. Useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So if you think about it, there's this vessel with the lid on it. And if it's ever going to be useful again... It's going to have to be scrubbed and cleaned and bleached and set on fire and torched. And it's going to have to go through a process. You're not just going to put it in the dishwasher. Something's going to have to happen dramatic. It's going to have to go through a process in order for it to become useful for the owner again. Now, that word that Paul uses to describe that process is the word sanctified. The translation I read off says to be made holy. It is that process. This word may seem insignificant, but it was absolutely central to Paul's writing and teaching and preaching all through the New Testament. So it's the process of being made holy. It's the eternal work of the Holy Spirit in your inner life to cleanse you and make you useful for every good work. So we've been asking people, I think sometimes wrongly, are you saved? Are you a Christian? And the problem with asking that question alone is it seems to highlight that the highest work of God is salvation. And that theology creates a weak Christian culture. What we should be asking people is, are you sanctified? Have you gone through the process of being cleansed so that you have become useful to God and you've become a person God can count on? Have you been made holy? That's what holy means, to be set apart. So remember what Paul told Timothy in chapter 1. Remember the context again. He says, Timothy, your faith is sincere. So glad that your faith is sincere. That's a good thing. I, I commend you for that. But you're timid. You're not using the spiritual gifts that God gave you. You're embarrassed about the gospel, and you're embarrassed about me, the messenger of the gospel, who's in prison. So in other words, Timothy's been saved, but Paul's saying, have you become useful to God? Have you become a person he can count on? 
It's the movement from the old to the new. And I'll, I'll read you from other of Paul's letters the exact same concept. Ephesians 4.22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self, take on the new self. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Very important word. That is the process of sanctification, of being made holy, of becoming useful to God, of becoming a person God can count on. By the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve with the perfect will of God. That word transformed is where we get our word metamorphosis. It's a scientific word, metamorphosis. It's the process of leaving the old and stepping into the new. It's the process of being made for more. It's the process of realizing God has made me for more and I'm going to reach for it. So the closest picture that we have, that I can think of, comes from nature. And so uh, you, we, have a, we have a caterpillar, okay? You have a picture. Here's a big caterpillar, giant caterpillar. And this little guy represents what happens to this little guy, represents um, this process of metamorphosis. Now, don't confuse this caterpillar with this next worm. How many of you know what this next worm is? That's an army worm. How many of you got army worms in your yard? Right? There's a plague sweeping Alabama. I don't know if you heard of it. Don't confuse it. That's not it. That's the army worm. So here's the caterpillar, just in case you don't kill the caterpillar. But they do have one thing in common. They both want to eat. The caterpillar comes out of the egg, and all he wants to do is just eat. He eats, and he eats, and he eats. And if you're a gardener, if you've ever had caterpillars in your garden, they will chew it up in minutes. They'll just absolutely devour it because all they want to do is eat. And they eat so much, their skin begins to get tight, and it begins to stretch. And then they stop, and they, and they peel off that layer of skin. And after they peel that layer of skin off, they're hungry, and they go back to eating. And they eat, and they say, I want more, and I want more, and I want more. And they just live off their primal desires. They live off their own self-serving desires. And then they shed their skin again, and they do this four times. And on the fifth time, they eat so much food that they just sort of wander up into a little tree and find a little corner to hide in, kind of how you and I feel after Thanksgiving dinner. They just go find a little spot, and all they want to do is take a nap. And so they go into this process of chrysalis. In other words, we would think about it, they go into a, this process where they go into a cocoon. Now, have you ever thought well, what it would be like to be inside a cocoon? Have you ever thought, what it would, so this morning I thought, I thought I'd try it out. What would it be like to be a caterpillar and be stuck in a cocoon? You ever thought about that? All right, come inside with me. I'm going to try to do this uh, as quickly as I can. So imagine, here's a caterpillar. Can you still hear me? Wave if you can hear me. No, never mind. I can't see. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, does it? All right. So here you have this caterpillar who's got inside this cocoon, and he's in here, and he is absolutely miserable. He's, he's miserable. And all he can think about is getting out. He struggles, and he struggles. I can't see. I don't know what you're doing. Don't do anything bad. Can I just tell you it's very hot in here? 
So he's struggling, and he's struggling, and he can't get out of this cocoon. And he's trying to find a way out. And listen, you know what scientists tell us about this process? When he goes in the cocoon, he has 50 cells in his body. 50 cells. That's it. 50 cells. And he struggles, and he struggles. And when he goes in this cocoon, he multiplies his cells to 50,000. 50,000 cells inside this cocoon of struggle. Struggling, struggling. He's in here for about two weeks. And then all of a sudden, after two weeks, he comes out of the cocoon and he realizes he has wings. Sort of. And he can fly. That's what it's like. Sort of wings. Or a blanket. Whatever your kids have in the closet at the time. And so can you imagine you're this caterpillar guy and you just eat some pizza and you go inside to this little nap-like coma for two weeks and you come out and all of a sudden you've got wings? Now watch. And for a couple of hours, they stretch their wings and sort of make sure they work and dry them off and clean them. And then something happens that's unique to the monarch butterfly. Maybe you, it's probably one of the most well-known butterflies, the picture that you usually see when somebody puts a butterfly. So here's what a monarch butterfly looks like. When they come out of the cocoon, do you know what they do? After they dry their wings off, the first thing they do is they fly to Mexico. Did you know that? To Mexico. Woohoo! What are these? I don't know. I think they're called wings. What do I do? I don't know. I guess you start flapping them. Where are we going? Mexico. Woohoo! Mexico. 2,000 miles. They've never flown before. Somehow in this process, they've developed the strength to fly 40 miles a day for 50 days. And it's, not, it's just amazing, not just that they go to Mexico, but what they do when they get there. What they do when they get there is they, they're not just resting. They're not just sort of hanging out on a flower. All the way to Mexico, they're pollinating and spreading seeds, and the flowers continue to bloom. Everywhere the monarch butterflies, as they are as they're making their way to Mexico, they're spreading those seeds and pollinating, and flowers are following behind them because of the good seeds they're planting. Now, when you think about it, it makes sense. They've been changed in their cocoon. They come directly out of it. They fly to Mexico. There's this village in Mexico where 100 million monarch butterflies go. It's 10,000 feet elevation on this mountain range. And all these monarch butterflies from central northern United States descend on this village in this community in Mexico and pollinating all along the way. You know what that is? You know what that process is? That's what the gospel is. That's the gospel story. Someone has planted the gospel in your life. And that seed has driven you into a cocoon. So that you might go through the process of becoming like Christ. You might go through the process of becoming holy, becoming sanctified, becoming set aside for God's purposes so that you can plant the gospel in someone else's life. Somebody say, community picnic. That's what we're talking about. Blocktober party, my story series, the gospel according to Scrooge, opportunities to plant the seeds of the gospel in somebody else's life because somebody planted them in yours. 
We've been changed from something that was crawling along the ground, just living off primal instinct, driven by our own desires, eating whatever we could find, and we go through the process of sanctification and say, who would have thought I can fly? Now, there's five stages of sanctification. So how do we do it? The next verse gives us the five stages of sanctification. If you have to have something to write with, I'm going to give them to you quickly. Verse 22 says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call out on the Lord out of a pure heart. So here's the five stages of sanctification. Paul's giving this to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, you're made for more. But this timidity and this embarrassment of the gospel and this not using your gifts has got to stop. You were made for more than that. And it's time for you to go on in your faith. I'm leaving. I'm checking out. I'm in prison. I'm done. It's time for you to move on. And so let's just look at those stages one at a time. Paul says to Timothy, flee evil desires. So you have to do everything you can do to run as fast as you can to get away from everything that's evil. Now, honestly, that's a challenge. Probably more challenging in our times than other times, although the core nature of humanity's not changed, the speed of darkness has changed. And it's coming at us. There's something inside of all of us when we came into this world that just wants the wrong thing. We were all born thinking it's about us. We were all born like this caterpillar. We just want and we want and we want and we want and we consume and we eat. And it takes a miracle of God's power to break that dominance off of us. It's not just going to come off through determination. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's addiction. Pornography. Maybe it's attention. Maybe it's power. But something that just screams inside of you that says, I want more, I want more, I want more, and when I get enough, I will be satisfied. And and it's never enough. And there has to come that moment, Paul is saying to Timothy, there has to come that moment when you say inside your soul, enough of this. This isn't working, nor is it going to work. There has to come that moment. When you reach out, when you, when you cry out, when you ask for help. I, I, I can remember uh, one of my sons, we were at a, a pool party uh, one afternoon, his class, I think maybe fourth grade. And there was about 30 kids all hanging in the pool having fun. And I'm just sitting there in a chair, Stacy and I are there just relaxing. And kids are going everywhere and grilling out and, you know, everything's cool. And all of a sudden, I look in the pool, and there's this little girl, somebody's little sister or something. I don't know. And with all the splashing and stuff around her, she just simply goes under. And I can see this look of panic on her face. And I can see her hands stretched out like this. And her hands are saying, help but she doesn't say anything. She just simply slips under the surface of the water. And, I, and, and I, I don't know her. I've never seen her. I don't know if they're playing. I don't know, I don't know if they're holding their breath game. I don't, know, I don't know anything. 
I just look around, and that's what I saw, and she went under. And I thought, <laughs> I just panicked. And, and I jumped in, cell phone, wallet, everything I owned. I just went in and got her out, and she was drowning. And nobody knew it. But there she was, surrounded by all of this other stuff going on, but she was just simply slipping away. And there finally has to come a point in your life when you, you, are, you realize what's happening around you is not good, and it's not going to change, and it's not going to help, and there's no way out until you can at least sign language to God and say, help. The good news is that's all you have to say. God, help. And that smallest little inclination and turn and toward God in faith, and he is there waiting to help you. So when we flee evil desires, what happens when we flee evil desires is like the caterpillar, we begin to shed that old skin and we take off the old stuff. And that leads us to the stage two of, of sanctification. We begin to pursue righteousness. So from now on, we've got to run as fast as we can toward everything that is righteous and good and holy. I wonder how many times you've taken that step and then all of a sudden the pressures have begun to creep back in. The shadows of the old life, the darkness of the old way, the deceit of the old way. And you find yourself straddling the fence, putting off the old skin, taking on the new, then taking off the old and putting putting the new and taking the old back on again, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Maybe you go through that process again and again and again, and the only way you can move from running away from evil desires, this, this is worth the whole message today. This one thought's worth the whole message. The only way you can move from pursuing evil desires to pursuing righteousness is to pursue faith and one simple word that will change your entire life. Surrender. You just have to give up to God and say, I can't ever stop doing these bad things on my own. And furthermore, I'm never going to be able to do the good things I should do on my own. So God, I surrender to you. And I pursue righteousness and it takes faith to pursue righteousness. That's the third step. So, uh, we've got this painting. Uh, you may know who painted this, uh, Hannah Reddick. Now, Hannah helped us. Uh, there was a series we did maybe a year and a half ago called Portraits of Forgiveness. Do any of you remember that? And she came out and painted live on stage. And for talking about pressure. In front of everybody, like while I was teaching the message, she painted a, a whole portrait. And, and, and so here, here you have on this portrait, look, this isn't finished. This is one color. She tells me it has two more panels that go with it that's going to be a whole deal. But right now you have a canvas. You have one color on it. I can see that it's trees. I can't really see what she's going for because I can't see the other panels. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But here's the thing I know for sure. I've seen Hannah's work. And I know this one's not done, but I know it's going to be good. 
Because I've seen her other work. I've seen other paintings that she's done. Many of us in our life, we look around at somebody else's life and we say, look how incredible what God is doing for them. Look how awesome what God did for this person or that person. Or look at the life God has given them or the provision or the talent or the gifts or the ability or the healing or the recovery or the restoration or the testimony. We look around at nature and we say, look how phenomenal what God has made. Look at the sun and the moon and the stars and the ocean and the river and the green grass and the mountains and the valleys. Look how good what God has done. All around us we see the masterpiece of God's hand, but we struggle to believe that he's doing that in us it's all around us but not for me that's a struggle of faith I can see that God's done it here I see his handiwork it's unbelievable I've seen what Hannah can paint it's beautiful she has incredible talent I don't know what this is going to be but I know what kind of work she does. God, I don't know what you're going to make out of my life, but I know what kind of work you do. And I believe you because I've seen your work. I trust you because I've seen other things you've done. First uh, John, we did a series uh, out of 1st, out of 2nd, 3rd John a couple summers ago. And one of the verses that's so powerful in uh, chapter 3, I think, is... John says, God is lavishing his love on you. And he says, do you not know that you are my dear children and what you will become is not clearly seen yet? So if we had a spiritual x-ray machine and we could put on all of our souls, our inside would look something like this. It's not clear yet what God is making out of your life, but it doesn't mean he's not making it. It's not clear yet what God is up to, but he's up to it. It's not exactly clear what he's doing, but the, but the Father's hand is at work in your life, and he is, he is moving things and adding colors and adding dimension. And this morning, what that means is we are all in a process being conformed and transformed, which means that we're in a process and we are a piece of the work in the Father's hand who continues to work on us if we have the faith to believe. His work is stalled out when we don't believe. Not exactly, not perfectly, but like we said at worship, when we are aware of his presence, he does so much more than when we're not. When we believe he's working, all things work together for the good of those that love God. When we believe that, his work is intensified in, in our life. So we have to say, God, I trust you to finish what you started. When you have that faith, you find yourself offer, often entering into that cocoon. And that's, that's what... That's where you're grounded in the fourth stage of sanctification we call pursue love. Now, I don't know what's going to draw you into the cocoon. I don't know how you'll get there. It, it may be a holy discontentment. It may be that you simply look around you and start to look at the world through God's eyes and say, this is wrong. 
And somebody's got to set it right. God's work is left undone on this earth, and he's called me to be a part of it, and I can't get content without using what he gave me for his glory and his good. That might be what drives you in the cocoon. It might be bad news. Cancer might show up at your door. Some bad problem, some bad circumstance might enter your life, and it throws you into this cocoon. And you got two choices when that happens. You can run away and hide, or you can lean into God. You can lean into the resistance and say, oh, God, the wind's blowing hard. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to stand here till you work it out. I'm not going to leave. It may be relationship struggle. It may be a job change. It may be all the, the comforts, all the familiarity around you begins to change, and you become very uncomfortable. You might have an outright encounter with God. You might just meet God head on and say, I cannot be the same. And it might throw you into that cocoon. I don't know what will push you into that cocoon, but here's what I know. It must be received through love. God doesn't cause cancer and sickness and sin and bad circumstances, but he will use them all. I don't know why things happen the way they do sometimes, but I know that when you wake up one morning and you find yourself looking out through a sleeping bag, you've got to say, God, I receive the process of my soul from you as an act of love. You are good, you are good, and you are using these things. When you receive these moments from love, knowing that God is good, and he's using all things to work together to make you something else. You know what scientists tell us? There's a unique cell inside every caterpillar. A unique cell that lays dormant and never activates until the caterpillar moves into the cocoon. And once the caterpillar moves into the cocoon, that cell wakes up and gives the caterpillar the ability to multiply from 50 cells to 50,000 cells. It's that one cell. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in the heart of every person. Just like every caterpillar has the potential to be a butterfly, Every Christian has the potential to become something beautiful and powerful because God has put eternity in your heart. When you open yourself up to realize that God is with you and God is good and he's working through you and in you to do something incredible because he loves you, you begin to realize you can have wings. You can make an impact. And this leads to the final stage, to pursue peace. Run away from evil desires, pursue righteousness, faith, love. Now you have the chance to pursue peace, and God is sending you. And where does he send you? Mexico. Maybe. He sends you out, and out to do what? To share your story. To plant the same seeds of the gospel that somebody planted in you. To share your story. Your life gets to be put on display. And God takes you and shares your story. So where are you at today? Any of you here tired of just crawling along the ground and just eating whatever comes next? Just chewing 
living off those desires, pursuing the American dream, pursuing more stuff, pursuing more, 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 more. Has it ever really satisfied you? It never really will. Maybe some of you just need to lift your hands this morning and say, I'm drowning. God, will you help me? He will. Maybe this morning some of you have turned away from evil, but you've not really pursued righteousness. I kind of think that's where Christianity is stuck in, in, uh, in the American church right now. We define it as in forms of morality. I'm not a bad person because I don't do that many bad things. But do you pursue righteousness? Have you gone on an all-out pursuit of righteousness? Are you pursuing God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength? You're, you're, you're not really going for it. You have the desire, but you find yourself sort of toggling back and forth, just trying to maintain being a good person. I think God may be saying to some of you, do you trust me? If you trust me, believe me, step in for it, go for it. You see it all around you. I will do it. Trust me. Maybe some of you have never really raised the white flag of surrender. Constant back and forth. You've never known the beauty or the power or the joy or the satisfaction of surrendering to God. When, when you do that, you go in the sleeping bag and God begins to change things. He begins to move things around. Sales start multiplying. And maybe some of you this morning are in the cocoon. Guarantee you there are people here this morning, you are in the cocoon. If you're in it, and you're saying, it's hard. It's hot in here. It's hot in here. Yes, but God's not done. He's not finished. Hold on. You know, scientists tell us if you cut a cocoon open and let a caterpillar out early, even if it has its wings, it'll never be, have the strength to make the journey because you shortcutted the process. He's working. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how long you're going to be in there. But hold on. Open your hands and receive God's love and receive God's favor, knowing that this struggle is part of his process to cleanse you and make you useful for every good work. Maybe some of you have popped out of the cocoon and you've got wings and it's time to spread your wings and it's time to tell the story. And maybe you say, oh, I flew to Mexico once. It was really cool. But maybe that was like 10 or 20 years ago. You hadn't done anything since then. Maybe it's time for you to use your wings again. Maybe, maybe there's some of you here, you're a caterpillar, but you've got a butterfly costume on. You don't have real wings. They're just sort of floppy. You know how to talk the talk. You know how to do the deal. You know how to put the right face on. You know how to dress right. You know how to act right. You know how to play the whole part. But the truth is, inside, you're a caterpillar. And, and, and for you... Maybe what God's saying to you is, hey, hey, trust me. You can take the costume off. It's okay to be a caterpillar. Just come toward me. Would you stand with me this morning? You and I weren't made to crawl. We were made for more. 
Why would you want to crawl when you can fly? I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'd come, everybody with your eyes closed. I just want to ask you to respond to what God has said to your heart. What God has said to your heart. I just want you to respond to that. Every eye closed. Our life group leaders are moving, so they'll be ready for you when we leave. Everyone else, if you could just find a place to be still. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, it's time for me to run away from something. There's something dark, there's something bad, there's something evil. It's time for me to run away. Maybe you're here today and say, it's time for me to run toward righteousness. I've never really pursued righteousness. And here's what I think one of the biggest ones in the whole room is. I'm struggling to trust God. I don't, maybe you don't think about it consciously, but the truth is, your actions show it to you. I don't, I'm, I'm hesitant, I'm reserved, I hold back. I don't, I don't risk, I don't step out and say, okay, God, I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to try, I'm going to stand here in this cocoon. I'm going to stand here in this resistance. I'm going to stand here in the wind. I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm just going to stay here till you work it out, Lord. I'm just going to trust you. I don't even really have a big part to play except to trust you. Maybe, maybe you're here today. This is another big one, and you say, I need God to show me that he's good. I'm telling you, there are people in this room that is, maybe you would say it different, but that's the prayer of your heart. I need God to show me that he's good. I need him to remind me and to show me, to help me to see. And then, and then there are some of you that say, it's time for me to tell my story. If, that, if any of those are your step, would you just lift your hand and say, Run away from evil, run to righteousness, trust God. God, prove to me today that you are good. Would you just lift your hand and say, would you pray for me today when we pray? Man, that's me, that's me. I need, I need one of those, two of those, maybe more. I need them. I need those today. Take a step of faith. I wanna, I wanna pray for you and I wanna invite you to come to our prayer team and let our prayer team pray with you. Now that's a step of faith. That's a step of faith. Just to say, I'm coming. I'm moving right now. I'm moving right now. I'm not going to wait. God has made me for more, and I'm going to leave the less behind. And I'm going to step toward God, and I'm going to believe Him. Lord, I thank you today for the grace of Jesus Christ. I thank you for that overflowing love of Jesus we feel. I thank you for all the encouragement from the church, from the saints, from the Word, from the Holy Spirit. And I ask you today to make us a vessel of honor. So for those who need just to be reminded that you are good, for those who need to turn away from something bad, turn toward you and pursue you, to trust you, Lord, minister today what only you can. With, with, with no one looking, here's what I want you to do. I want you to step out right now, and I want you to come. You lifted your hand. I want you to move right now. I want you to move right now. We'll dismiss in one minute. I want you to come right now and say, would you please pray for me? Step out right now. I want to be made for more. I want to fulfill my potential. I want to be useful to God. I want God to work in my heart. I want God to work in my life. I want to believe. I want to trust. I want to grow. I want to move. I want to do everything God wants me to do. I reach out this morning. Maybe today all you can do is hold your hands up like that little girl going in the pool. Help. 
That's all you have to do. God, I want you to do what you want in my life. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the circumstances. Maybe you're in the cocoon. And God is saying, I love you. I love you today. Let him minister that love to you. Let him minister that love to you. Thank you, Jesus. As the worship team keeps singing, if you need prayer, we're going to wait here for you. If you need to be dismissed, you can be dismissed. God bless you. Have a great day. Stop and talk to some of our life group hosts on your way out. See you at the picnic in two weeks.